Welcome to the Winter Palace. I'm your host, Mark Cole, editor and publisher of Odessa Steps Magazine. I'm very happy to say today that we are joined by my undergraduate film professor, James Nairmore. Jim did the commentary on the Criterion release of Chimes of Midnight, so we are going to discuss that, the recent release of the Wells Macbeth on DVD, other Shakespeare Wells connections, and the use of film versus digital in film school. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. There is a man. There is a man. A certain man. A certain man. And for the poor, you may be sure that he'll do all he can. Who is this one? Who is this one? His favorite son. His favorite son. Because by his action has attraction magnets on the run. Who loves to smoke? Who loves to smoke? And Georgia Jones. Welcome back to the Winter Palace. When I picked up the Criterion release of Chimes of Midnight last year, I was excited to see that the commentary was being done by one of my old film professors. So to talk about Chimes, Wells and Shakespeare, and other topics in the world of film is Professor James Nairmore. How's it going, Jim? Fine. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, Good like I you. Yeah, thanks. Uh, like I said, when I got that when I got the Chimes DVD, I was I was stoked to see that uh, that you had done it because obviously I knew that you know you had written a bunch of stuff on Wells and all that kind of stuff. So how did you how did did they approach you to do the the commentary? Well, I've done I've done other commentaries with Criterion. Um, uh, Jonathan Rosenbaum and I did uh, together uh, one on uh, uh, Touch of Evil, uh, and then I did one on my own on. Uh, on uh, uh, Sweet Smell of Success. So uh, I was used to working with them. Uh, and uh, they just, they, they told me that they were going to be putting out a couple of, uh, of Wells uh, editions. And one was the Immortal Story. And anyway, I, they asked if I would like to participate. And I said, yeah, that, you know, what I would most like to do is talk about Chimes of Midnight. So that's how it came about. And this is a newly restored print. I know that you said in your commentary this is probably the best version of the film that you've ever seen. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, when the film was originally released in the 70s in the U.S., uh, it had some problems with the soundtrack. And then it was never really given a proper distribution in the U.S. It was one of the hardest uh, uh, films to see. And uh, we used to have here uh, at Indiana, where I taught for many years, we used to have a 16-millimeter print, which was okay visually, but, again, the soundtrack was a bit garbled. Uh, so it's, for a long time, it's been the film, for, for American audiences anyway, that most needed uh, the kind of treatment that, that Criterion can give it. And what they've done is a real beauty. Yeah, uh, for people that may not know, um, Chimes is sort of as uh, basically centers around Falstaff from the various uh, Shakespeare history plays that Wells plays Falstaff. But the film, is, yeah, the film is cobbled together from three or four different plays that all include Falstaff, right? It's that's, like that's what, all the that's parts, right. of, yeah, all the parts of Henry and Mary Wise of Windsor. Yeah. Uh, and <clears throat> Wells had done, I don't know, a project roughly similar to this in the 1930s on the stage uh, called Five Kings. And it was an attempt to do a kind of condensed version of all the, uh, the Shakespeare uh, history plays involving the Wars of the Roses. And uh, that's the background for most of the, 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 the plays involving Falstaff. 
I think the the the, the play that uh, is most um, uh, most engaged with Falstaff and most uh, fun is Henry the Fourth Part One, and that takes up a, a substantial part of this. But there are others as well, and 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 Wells, as he always did with Shakespeare, um, uh, edited lots of the plays. He he it's his own. Uh, um, conception of, uh, of of Falstaff uh, seen through uh, a number of Shakespeare's texts. And I guess is it fair to say that sort of the po- a popular theme has always been that the, the, there's an there's a parallel between Falstaff and Wells, sort of as both oversized in personality and sort of in stature, that people always seem to to read into things. Yeah, I think uh, there's a tendency to, to, to read a lot of, of Wells' films as in some way or another autobiographical or self-referential. Uh, and, but uh, Falstaff was uh, one of Wells's, maybe his favorite Shakespearean character, and he had done it on the stage several times. Uh, and, of course, there are these you know, audiences can, can easily draw a comparison between uh, uh, Wells, who at this point in his life was a massive fat man, his his gourmandizing, his uh, uh, if you like uh, extravagance, uh, and 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 this character. What what makes uh, what makes a film also really interesting in in, in terms of Wells is that uh, Wells's interpretation of Falstaff is unusual. Um, uh, Falstaff, uh, historically, people will tell you that he that Shakespeare's representation of Falstaff owes something to the old medieval vice plays. Uh, you know, the 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 the, the, the carnivalesque kind of guy who uh, uh, was kind of a fun representation of various forms of vice, and uh, and that's here very strongly in, in the film. But uh, Wells thought that that Falstaff was a truly good man, uh, someone that. Um, uh, that I think he takes uh, seriously that that uh, is, is is someone we should feel strongly about and love, and uh, uh, so he you could say his interpretation of Falstaff is romantic, but it's also very powerful. It's probably the single greatest uh, piece of acting interpretation in Wells's whole career. Uh, so he, he makes he makes Falstaff an extremely interesting character. And one of the interesting things about Chimes is that it's shot in Spain, not That's in right. England, where you would think. But Wells was living in Spain at the time, and so, I, you know, I mean, it's black and white, so it's sort of a little less obvious. But it is sort of atmospheric, and especially when you get to the big battle scene at the end, like it doesn't necessarily look like England, but it sort of makes it look more, I don't know, sort of dreamlike and maybe mythic. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I think that's true. Wells loves Spain, of course, uh, but he was disguising Spain as England in the film. I think he does a reasonably good job of that. But uh, remember that the setting for the play, and 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 for all the action here is, uh, and what is sometimes sentimentally called Merry England, that that period of England that was uh, before modern times, and uh, uh, so it, 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 at that point in history. England still had kind of one foot in the Middle Ages. And, uh, in fact, what, what the Shakespeare plays are about and what Wells' film is about is this 
transition moment from the Middle Ages to a modern world of kind of uh, 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 conniving politics and violence. Um, and uh, uh, so, so the, the, the setting is very simplified. He turned an old Spanish church into a castle, and he, uh, he built a, uh, the Boar's Head Tavern very ingeniously. Uh, for, for the film, and otherwise it's just landscape. You don't get a sense of modern Spain anywhere. Uh, so anyway, yeah. Uh, the thing about chimes that I noticed uh, in doing reading and listening to your commentary is, it seems like it is that it's maybe it's a lot of critics maybe favorite Wells movie now, and it seems like a lot of critics now say it may be Wells's best movie sort of maybe even even better than Kane. Yeah. Uh, uh, in, in the past, oh, what, but the last time they did a, uh, you know, the Sight and Sound has that, that poll every 10 years of right. critics and filmmakers to pick the best films of all time. And as you probably know, the last time Susan Kane got second place after being first place for many years. Uh, and uh, I voted in that uh, thing and I did not vote for Kane, uh, not because I don't admire Kane tremendously, but for a variety of reasons. And so, the, but I, I was definitely going to vote for a Wells film, and I could have picked Chimes at Midnight, but I picked Touch of Evil. Uh, and if they ever ask me again, I'll pick Chimes at Midnight. Uh, I think it and 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 the, and the mangled version of uh, of Magnificent Ambersons are are. are in a way, Wells' is most personal films, and uh, I, I really admire both of them. Now, the as it turns out, we've been sort of planning to do this for a while, and it just happens so that I noticed last week when I was in the store that there's a new restored version of Macbeth that just came yeah. out. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's right to call it restored, but it is a good uh, DVD production of, of Macbeth, right? Well, I was going to say that it has um, both, I guess, sort of the original Scottish version with the Scottish dialogue version and also the truncated version with with the American dialogue. And so obviously, you know, Wells made, you know, four or five Shakespeare films. But Macbeth, I always, I always found interesting because it's so... It's so stark that, you know, it was shot on the Republic. He made it for Republic. It was shot on a lot where they made Westerns. And I, you know, I always have not preferred it, but I really like that version because it's sort of, it's very, I don't know, would you say odd is the word? I mean, he obviously was familiar with Macbeth from from doing the the voodoo Macbeth in the 30s in Harlem. But, uh how how do you see that version of Macbeth, either the the longer version or the shorter version? Well, I definitely prefer the longer version, and I definitely prefer the Scottish accents. I do not know why. Well, I know why Hollywood made him do a whole new soundtrack without the Scottish accents. His idea was the play takes place in Scotland, so I'm going to have people will have Scottish accents, uh, and I don't think the Scottish accents impede anything. I just think they're an interesting aspect of the film. Um, and furthermore, the longer version, I mean, it, I believe I'm correct about this. Somebody may point out that I'm wrong. I don't know. But I believe that the longer version has the first 10-minute take 
in Hollywood history. Um, you, you know that, that a reel of film in those days, 35 millimeter film, uh, uh, its capacity uh, was 10 minutes. Um, and uh, it's at about this period where, for example, Hitchcock makes Rope, uh, which is a, a series of very long takes, some of them lasting 10 minutes. Uh, so in other words, you, you have to end it at that 10 minutes so that you can change the film and the camera. Um, but there is a 10-minute take in the, the 1948 version of uh, 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 the 1948 Macbeth, and uh, Hollywood, when they released the film, cut it out. Uh, and it, it's, it's, it's brilliant. And in the process of cutting it out, they also, I remember correctly, left out the uh, famous Porter scene uh, where the Porter knocks on the walls of the castle. And uh, it, it's a famous moment in Shakespeare. So anyway, uh, no, no, the, what, what, forget about the, Ameri- the original American release. This, this uh, uh, restored version, which I think was done by UCLA, is, uh, is better. Yeah, and I didn't realize until I was sort of doing research for this that we actually do have a few minutes of footage from from Voodoo Macbeth, which I guess was taken from yeah. a, a movie that was made. I guess they filmed part of it from a movie that was but made they, in the '30s. It was it was a uh, uh, no, it, it was part of a, a, a newsreel sort of publicizing the film. Uh, and so we do have clips from it, but, but it's, it's not, a very, not a very extensive amount of a play, but it gives you a sense of what the staging was like. It doesn't, um, uh, I'd say it has more documentary uh, interest than, than theatrical interest because of just the way it's shot. It's a simple one camera position looking up on the stage during the, during the play. Uh, but uh, yeah, it gives you it gives you a sense of the staging and and uh, some of the battle action. Yeah, that was a, an interesting play because not only because it was an, the first all black production of Shakespeare, uh, it was also um, uh, loosely based on the on Toussaint Louverture, the the, the 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 most important leader of a slave rebellion in the 19th century in Haiti, uh, who actually was a victorious uh, uh, slave rebellion. Um, so it had resonance among the black community there because of that. Anyway. And is that, did I, did I read this right, that sort of that, that production is sort of what made Wells's name sort of known outside of just sort of like the theater circles? That was sort of like his first big thing that got him noticed by the general public? Well, uh, it certainly made the news a lot, and it was an enormous, enormous success. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, but I would, I would say uh, what happened was it kind of lit up the theatrical world in, in New York. Uh, this was the 1930s, and this was part of the Federal Theater Project, uh, and they had one arm of it in New York, and, and, and Wells and his producer associate, John Houseman, had, were in charge of the sort of black arm of that theater. Uh, and uh, it was uh, and, and just a, an incredible success. Huge crowds of people from Har- Harlem came to see this. And uh, so for the, for the left wing in the 1930s, it was a very, very important uh, theatrical production. But it was not a mainstream Broadway style, very much off-Broadway kind of, kind of theater. 
so intellectuals knew about it. Uh, I wouldn't say that the popular world knew about it. The popular world began to know about Wells because he was an actor on the radio, and he did the shadow and that sort of thing on the radio. And then, of course, the thing that really sent him over the top was uh, was the War of the Worlds broadcast on this uh, experimental drama show that he did for CBS in the late, in the late 30s. But he had a string of very, very important theatrical productions in the 30s, and, and uh, so he was known in New York in the, in, in the theatrical school, uh, world as this very important, innovative young man. So... Is there footage available of the Caesar that they did, or are there? I think there are stills, but is there any film of that? Uh, no, I, as far as I know, there's no no film of, uh, of the Julius Caesar. No, uh, uh, it's been it's been people tried to recreate parts of it. For example, uh, uh, Richard Linklater, a, a director I like very much, uh, did that. Uh, uh, Me and Orson Welles. I don't know if you saw that film. Right. Uh, it, it's a charming film, and it's about the production of, uh, of Julius Caesar, and it recreates some of the scenes of it. <clears throat> um, but I, I, I don't think it, it – you know, we can't know what it was like. Theater is provisional. It, it disappears after it's performed. Uh, but uh, at least in terms of the descriptions that were given uh, of the play, I think the play had more darkness and menace than uh, you get a sense of in the, in the Linklater film. And Wells, of course, also made Othello, and then he made, is it a portion of Merchant of Venice, and that apparently has been restored in the last couple years? No, it hasn't, no, it hasn't been restored. Uh, the Merchant of Venice, for a long time, was considered a part, partially lost. I gather now that there was a complete version of it in Munich, in the, in the archive in Munich. Uh, but and, and for, I don't know why it hasn't been put together or released. It probably has to do with issues of ownership and so forth. Uh, and but uh, you know parts of that have been seen and exhibited even uh, in in places. Uh, uh, I've seen bits of it. Uh, it's a color film, uh, and uh, but I, I haven't seen enough of it to make a judgment about it. Uh, I, so yeah, and Othello. Uh, which has also been, you might say, restored, uh, although there's been a really good print of that in Europe for a long time, uh, uh, is a gorgeous film, a really fascinating film to look at visually. Uh, I I think it doesn't work as well as drama, uh, as um, I agree with Simon Cowell's judgment of it. Uh, I think the performance by Wells of Othello is a little too somnambulistic, uh, but boy, uh, as a piece of cinema, it's it's awfully impressive. Was there was there were there any uh, any other Shakespeare films that he had wanted to make over time that never actually came to fruition? Yeah, well, uh, there are a number of sort of tantalizing opportunities. In fact, there's so many things that Wells wanted to do that he wasn't able to do. Uh, it's heartbreaking sometimes to read about them. One of the late films he wanted to do after uh, Chimes at Midnight was um, uh, The Tempest. And um, uh, John Gielgud, who had played in, in Chimes at Midnight, uh, was really impressed with Wells and had long wanted to do the play, playing Prospero, and uh, uh, proposed to Wells that they make that film. 
but he was just never able uh, you know to put together the means to make to make the film but that that would have been a very very interesting project for him to do because it has so much to do with magic and fantasy did he ever did he ever do lear either on on, yes, on yes, stage yes he did yes he did on stage he he did it with a broken leg in new york uh he he um he had an accident and, and broke his leg and he performed the role from a wheelchair and he also did lear uh, uh on tv uh with uh i think it was Richard Brooks, not uh, Peter Brooks, uh, the, the British director, he, he did uh, with it. And one of his late projects, Incomplete, uh, was Lear. Uh, and he was going to do it in black and white and all in close-ups, which is a very interesting idea. And uh, I think some bits of pieces of that survived, but I have not seen them. Well, while we're talking about Shakespeare, and since we were talking about Falstaff and Henry, um, have you watched any of the Hollow Crown stuff the BBC has done the last couple of years? Uh, you know, no, I have not. I, 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 uh, I have gotten so fed up with um, uh, genteel PBS kind of adoration of the British aristocracy that uh, I, I just haven't been interested in it. And maybe I missed something good there. What did you think of it? Um, I've, I haven't seen all of them. I remember when they, the, the first cycle when they were doing, they did, I think Richard the second and then Henry, I thought those mm -hmm. were, I thought those were, were interesting. I, if I remember right, I think, I think, Jer, I think Jeremy Irons plays, plays, right. he, plays Henry. Those were, those are interesting. The, the later ones, like the one that I think like where Cumberbatch plays Richard the third, I haven't. Mm -hmm. seen those but the first versions right. i really liked yeah good well I, I mean you know they are following shakespeare pretty well and and so they should be good uh i guess you know what i guess what i was talking about was more the the kind of downton abbey kind of approach to uh the, the british upper classes but uh yeah the, but that uh these do sound like a serious set of uh productions but i'm afraid i haven't seen them yeah, it's it's always interesting. I mean, I've always sort of found Shakespearean adaptations interesting. You know, because I took a bunch of Shakespeare when I was when I was there, in addition to sort of all the film stuff. And you know, I always sort of like when when you take the play and you really transport it to someplace else. I mean, obviously, Throne of Blood and and you know, Ron come mm -hmm. to mind as you know two of the best, but it you know again it's sort of you know Shakespeare is sort of so universal that you can do so many different things with it. Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and you know uh, um, from the beginning of his New York career, Wells was always interested in that kind of uh, um, you know let let's do Shakespeare in modern dress or or um, uh, and there was also also always some kind of angle or, or aspect of the production that was. Uh, new or novel or interesting anyway well it's also interesting that wells was also never felt slave to the text i mean in that's Mac, right in Mac, Macbeth has things are chopped and changed and he invents the 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 priest character you know so i think right. he, he takes right. another character and he makes him into a priest because right one of the themes of Macbeth is sort of you know old religion pagan druids yeah. versus versus christianity yeah. and yeah, you know right. chimes, right. chimes is obviously you know four different plays all chopped together to 
to yeah. make a yeah. thing. So, you know, that's another thing I've always sort of liked about Wells' version of Shakespeare is that, you know, he, he makes it fit his needs, not... Right, right. And, 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 but you, you never feel that he is, um, or at least I never feel that he is um, uh, uh, committing some kind of sacrilege. I suppose there are some purists with Shakespeare that would feel this, this way, but uh, uh, Shakespeare has always been performed in many different ways. And, and uh, I always feel that, that Wells, Wells' films are Shakespearean. There's not, uh, it, it's not some kind of um, attempt to, uh, uh, make concessions for a modern audience. Uh, it's it's just an interesting experiment with with Shakespeare. Great. Uh, one thing I wanted to touch on before we go is I was just curious about is when I was at Indiana, which was in the the late '80s and early '90s, we saw we saw everything on film generally in right. uh, with what in your department whether it was you right. or, or Barb or whoever it was. Right, right. Um, now that everything is digital, is every, right. does everything get watched now? I mean, even if it's in the theater, is everything watched off DVDs, or do you guys still use prints when you can? I've been retired for a while, so I don't know how many people are using still using film. But uh, uh, I would say overwhelmingly, not out of Indiana, but anywhere else now, the, the Classroom uses of film are digital, uh, and there are upsides and downsides to, the, to that. But uh, I feel like uh, when, when it first when at, at, when it first moved in that direction, I was uh, you know an old school kind of guy who thought that film with celluloid was sacred, and, and uh, this wasn't a way to do it. But I, I think by far now uh, the, the, the not only the convenience but the quality of the uh, the DVDs that you can show to classes and the, uh, the extent of them that are available now make that, uh, uh, make that the medium of choice for, for instruction. Yeah. But we have two other things now at Indiana. Uh, one thing we have a, a unique, and I don't, I don't know if you're aware of this. Uh, I, I think it's arguably the, the best or one of the best, uh, university cinemas in the country. Uh, the, the IU Cinema has an extraordinary array of things it presents every year in state-of-the-art facilities, uh, uh, just as good as you, a sound system as you could imagine. We have famous directors coming in and out of town all year to show their work or be interviewed. And then at the same time, we have a huge amount of preservation and digitalizing of um, a, a considerable archive of 16-millimeter materials we have here and other materials uh, that make this a, a really good place to do research too. Uh, so uh, I, I would say, uh, I, I don't know what's going on in the classrooms, but I would say that the, uh, the opportunity to see film here and to uh, learn from it are, are technically uh, far better than they used to be. Yeah. I remember uh, when I was leaving, I remember we, uh, people were just starting to show stuff on Laserdisc. In, mm-hmm. in 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 you know for sort of right like because right. uh, the way it for the way it used to be was we would have screenings like one night a week for whatever class right we were right. taking and then you know like when we were back in the classroom after seeing it sometimes we had laser discs you know to look for scenes mm-hmm. or or whatever but yeah it was still mainly print and I remember I thought about this because you had mentioned in the Chimes DVD 
um, that the print that you had there was like bad enough that sometimes you had to apologize for it. Um, yeah, one of the yeah. one of the stories I I tell people is once um, I don't remember for which class it was, but we were showing you were showing you were showing Nashville, and the print was like had very bad sound, and that's a movie where you need good sound because you have yeah. all the non singers sure. singing. And yeah, I remember sure. like I remember like the next day in class you were you know, like you were very apologetic and you're like. You know, you thanked everybody who actually stuck it out to the end because it was really kind of a chore. I mean, because it's a long movie mm -hmm. anyway, and yeah. with, when that's a movie with bad, you know, if you're going to have a movie with bad sound, that's not the one to have. But yeah. I'm glad yeah. that, like, everything is sort of so technologically advanced. And I guess now also, you know, everything is so readily available. Yeah. Because yeah. I remember, I remember it, it used to be that – you know, especially for, you know, foreign and independent stuff that if you did not go to the screening like that week for yeah. class, I think there used, yeah, there used to be there used to be one one video store that was downtown in the square that specialized mm -hmm. in like art and, and foreign stuff. And mm -hmm. you could always tell what professors were showing because like there would be like a four or five person waiting list for like, yeah. you know. Yeah. Caligari or 400 blows yeah. or whatever and you're like yeah. oh somebody must yeah. be showing that because we can't we can't rent it but right. now it's like right. everything is everywhere so at least that's right. probably good yeah. for everybody yeah well you know um progress is progress but it's disaster in other ways i'm worried about the development of streaming which we all benefit from uh because uh it has to do with the preservation of films uh, and while DVDs are widely available to us, to us now, um, and Blu-rays and so forth. Uh, they're going to go away, and everything is going to be up there in the Ethernet somewhere. Uh, and uh, we'll lose a lot of films in that process. Uh, uh, so, yeah, it's good and it's bad. Great. Uh, Jim, I want to thank you very much uh, for taking some time to talk today um sure. obviously yeah people can get this new criterion chime yeah we did a podcast last year all about my love of criterion so i used to be one of uh -huh. like uh when i worked at borders i was one of those people that you know the first time criterions came in on dvd they did not make it to the floor they made it to my house first yeah. you know and i yeah. used to be i used to be a, a horrible criterion completist but you know there's so many now you can't you can't right. keep you can't right. keep up, right. but and they're like, gonna, they've got their own streaming network now. Right? Yeah, we yeah we were all especially paired with Turner Classic, which are like sort of the two best right. things for for a cinephile. Right. So yeah, so right. uh, people can yeah people can can pick up that new chimes like you said you did the commentary for right. Sweet, it has sweet, a lot of great extras on it too. Right. Um, you did the commentary for Sweet Smell is Success, which. A movie uh, as timely as today's headlines, I think, is probably yep. Sa yep. safe to say. Um, yep. Are most of your books still in print? I know you did The Magic World of Orson Welles, and I know you did that film noir book, but uh, yep. are there, are those yeah. still like in print and available at Amazon yeah. and all yeah. those kinds in of fact, places? Yeah, in fact, the, well, the Wells book has a new centennial edition published by Illinois, and that came out last year. Uh, 
And uh, yeah, they're all. Let's see, I'm looking at them up here on the shelf, and I, I think they're all in print. Uh, I don't know. I don't think the film guide to Psycho <laughs> is still in print, which is the first little thing I did about movies. Uh, but uh, everything else, yeah. Are the are the BFIs that you did are those still in print? Do you know? I, I just did the one. I just did the one. Uh, oh, the BFI on Sweet Smell of Success I did, and it's still in print. And then I have a big one on on Kubrick. It's called On Kubrick, and that that is still in print. That's good. Yeah, people can. Yeah, we. Yeah, um, when we did the Criterion show, it was mainly. It was right around the same time that the Criterion Strange Love came out. Right. Right. Which which I thought was like a great sort of archival piece of like I loved all the little stuff that came with it too. In yeah 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 yeah. So they people... in fact they in fact they asked me at one point to do the commentary on that, but then they decided not to have a commentary for it. So too bad. Cool. So yeah. So yeah. Uh, people can pe- people can get all of that stuff that you've worked on. Um, so thanks again, Jim, for doing the show sure. today. Well, thank you for thank you for calling. Nice to hear from you. Thanks, and we will talk to everybody next time.